Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk, and thank you for joining me, Pastor Visser, as we continue our look into the words of the minor prophet Haggai. And if you were with me for the first part, you'll know that technically, the book of Haggai, as a minor prophet, is about the rebuilding of the temple. And it more or less deals with the theme of putting God first, in everything and in every regard, most assuredly nationally. But at the time Haggai, as a prophet, was risen up, the children of Israel simply had no respect whatsoever unto, quote-unquote, God's house, or the house of the Lord. The temple in Jerusalem, also known as Solomon's temple. It had fallen into disarray, and it was in the process of being rebuilded. However, the rebuilding of that temple had ceased. And a majority of our kinsfolk, our ancient forefathers, simply dwelt within that city. And they had their own little hovels, and they stayed within them. And they were technically being cursed by Yahweh God because they didn't rebuild the temple and did not have the desire nor the drive to do as such. And in fact, that's exactly where we left off in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, but verse 11, where we read, I, Yahweh speaking, called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of our hands. Where's that? That's in Haggai chapter 1 verse 11. And that's where we're going to be picking it back up. But by way of review, that was exactly what was happening at the time of Haggai about 600 years before the coming Redeemer, Yahshua. And it is exactly how it is today in our modern society. Because I assure you, if we were putting God's house first, if we were putting Yahweh as the frontlet of our eyes in a national sense, we would not be being cursed the way we are. And of course, the natural man says, well, what are you talking about, Pastor Visser? We're not cursed at all. We live in America, land of the free, right? Home of the brave. But the reality of it is, is that's not what America today is centered around. In fact, even now, 
our enemy is trying to control the internet and they do not want the truth to get to you. In that I mean, there is no fear of Yahweh God within the land. And perhaps you've noticed this when you turn on the television, most assuredly court shows and daytime television dramas, you find people that do not have the fear of God in their eyes. Because if they did, they would not be engaging in the behaviors they do. And what's ironic about this term, the fear of God, it does not mean that we walk around fearing Him as if He's an evil deity out to zap you. That means that we reverence Him. We put Him first. But the Israelites in the time of Haggai did not do that. And the Israelites, even now in 2016, are not putting Yahweh or Yahshua first. And the reason they do not is provided in the very next verse. Picking it back up in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadash, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as Yahweh their God had sent him. And, the people did fear before Yahweh. Finally, the people began to fear once more. And that led, of course, to national repentance. And how many times do we read in the Scripture, Yahweh God says, If my people, who are called by my name, will repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their trespasses. Basically, heal their land. Well, notice several terms that are given right here in verse 12. Basically, the work is being encouraged. And if we were to put this within biblical timeline, it would be between the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you want a more exhaustive background into the time frame that Haggai the prophet had to work within, we'll read those books. Ezra, Nehemiah. But we already confirmed that Haggai was a prophet of Yahweh God. In fact, verse 12 proves that. All the remnant of the people. Very important to understand. Because the false prophet oftentimes will come in and say, you know what? Well, all Israel is saved. And indeed, that is a scriptural teaching. But reality of it is, is that the Bible teaches only a remnant shall escape. A remnant within a remnant, if you will, and it was no different at the times of Haggai the prophet. Basically, he encouraged the work. And notice that the voice of Haggai the prophet was heard by the remnant of the people. Meaning that Haggai caused them to obey the voice of Yahweh their God. And not only that, recognized that Yahweh their God had sent him. Now, a dishonest scholar could come in right about this stage and say, well, Haggai's saying that of himself, is he not? Not really. This is technically the codified Word of God. And it is historical. And again, we're not going to prove too much the historicity behind this book. But the words are what matters when pertaining to Haggai the prophet. And notice right here, we learn, the people did fear before Yahweh. Meaning that the fear or the reverence of Yahweh God had once again been established. And that oftentimes is the job of a prophet. This is why Haggai was risen up. To basically tell him, Yahweh God has said, but you know what Yahweh God says here through Haggai the prophet, 
was really no different than what was codified in the book of Leviticus and or Deuteronomy. It's no different than what our Israelite forefathers read about in the Pentateuch. But oftentimes the job of the prophet is to remind them, to remind the people that they are following the traditions of men. The traditions of men that make no the word of God and that the word of God really says. And hopefully a remnant will go back. And they'll read what the Word of God says and see that the Word of God trumps what man says. And it must needs be so, or else Malachi would not be risen up against the traditions of men. Haggai would not be risen up against the traditions that they held in that city of Jerusalem. And remind them, hey, you're putting God last. You're living in oppression and it's because you're neglecting God. So we can learn very much from this. Can we really truly as preachers of God's Word, encourage the people to put God first? Indeed, we can. Will it happen? Personally, yes. But nationally, it simply never will. That's my belief anyway. But once our people relinquish their sovereignty to a non-white nation, as we did before the destruction of the temple, well, it stands to reason we never once again reobtain that sovereignty. We will always be the tail And the enemy will be the head. And who is the root of all this? Who causes this? The reality of it is, is it's the Israelites. By not putting God first, God says what? I called for a drought upon the land and upon the new wine and upon the corn and even the very labor of your hands. So oftentimes we as Israelites work and we don't get paid what we should. Well, that's part of living under man's oppression. So, the bottom line is this. Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadesh, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, or the Israelites, obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God. And the words, not through the words, but and the words of Haggai the prophet. Meaning that Haggai directed them back to what was already written in the Old Testament. And... Haggai's words just so happen to coincide with the rest of Scripture. And what is that but the very text test that this ministry strives to teach according to? We're taught in Scripture that it grows. Line must be upon line. Precept must be upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And what that means, of course, is that the rest of Scripture must coincide with what these minor prophets teach or what the apostles teach in the New Testament. That, if you will, is the test of codification. That's how we determine which of these texts or books are legit and which are not. Now, I'm not going to split hairs here, because many of the books that are considered Gnostic, I've taught, like the Gospel of the Birth of Mary, or the Protevangelion, or the Gospel of Thomas. But that's up to you to understand. Which is legit, which is not. And the way to do that is to go back to the Word, and that's exactly what Haggai did. Next verse. Verse 13, here in chapter 1. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, Yahweh's message, unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Now notice, right here, am is italicized. Meaning that that is added by the King James transliterators. So if we were to read this in its proper order, it would read as such. Then spake Haggai, Yahweh's messenger, Yahweh's message, unto the Israelites, saying, 
I with you, saith Yahweh. Now, we know that I am is technically another name of Yahweh God, correct? But the am here is italicized, meaning that Yahweh God will never leave nor forsake you. And while the Israelites felt forsaken of God, while they leaned to men in their own jobs, 600 years before Christ, while they did not put the temple first, and they didn't mind seemingly being slaves, well, the reality of it is, is a remnant escaped. And a remnant were encouraged to rebuild the work. One with Yahweh God is the majority. And this is a teaching from Scripture that we find from Genesis to Revelation. If Yahweh God be for you, the enemy certainly cannot stand against you. So, Ezra and Nehemiah were risen up to encourage the work. Haggai the prophet was risen up to encourage that the temple finally be restored to its former glory. Now, why all of this in light of the fact that Yahweh God says, you know what, I'm not going to really dwell within a house made of brick and mortar, made with men's hands. We already partially covered that. Yahweh in the first part says, consider your ways. You've sown much, but you bring in little. Meaning that you are under an oppressive government because God is put in the back. And oftentimes, when we as a people allow this to happen, Yahweh God being placed on the back burner then big brother Esau Edom takes the forefront and ultimately becomes a god. Then spake Haggai, Yahweh's messenger. And what did he speak? Yahweh's message. Malachi was considered a messenger. In fact, Malachi even said that there will be other messengers sent. The messenger of the covenant being one such example. So Haggai was risen up to relay the message of Yahweh God. But ironically, what Yahweh God says in this book is chain referenced elsewhere within Scripture. Haggai reiterated what was already said. Verse 14. And Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadesh, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Notice that's the same exact time that it begins with. Haggai chapter 1 says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, but the first day of the month, then came the word of Yahweh. And then at the conclusion of chapter 1 in verse 15, all of this transpired in the four and twentieth day, of the sixth month, meaning 24 days later, in the second year, in the reign of King Darius, Haggai succeeded, Nehemiah succeeded, and Ezra succeeded in stirring up not the entire city and not in rousing up every Israelite, but a remnant. And because that remnant heard the voice and recognized the voice of their master, Notice that Yahweh God then stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and stirred up the spirit of Joshua. But not only that, stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. This is the secret of accomplishing any work for God. If men will obey as directed, then they are imparted with the spirit. And it always works that way, my friend. 
We must put faith within Yahweh God before understanding. It is not up to Yahweh God to prove to you why He forbids things within His law. On the same token, it is not up to Yahweh God to prove to you why it is. It is up to you to know that Yahweh God knows what is best for you. So this remnant that had their spirit stirred up within them by Yahweh God was a small group of Israelites that determined within themselves that they would ultimately rebuild Solomon's porch and that they would bring the temple back into its former glory. So what? So Yahweh God would be willing to dwell there. Remember in chapter 1, verse 8, where the Israelites of old were instructed, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith Yahweh. Once again, this is Yahweh's intention for the people. And it is, if you will, His bargaining chip. Saying, if you will get up off your lazy hind ends and out of your hovel, where you're comfortable and happy in slavery, and rebuild my house and restore it to the former glory that it was under Solomon's leadership, then I will dwell there. Did it happen? Has it happened? Is Yahweh God in the temple of Jerusalem today? Well, the answer to those questions should be obvious. But it was His intent. Meaning, what we can learn from Haggai is that it is still the intention of Yahweh God for us to put Him first nationally. And if we do that, just like that promise we read about, He'll hear. He'll come, heal our land, and He will put us as the head. But time and time again, we seemingly do not listen to the Word of God or we allow false prophets to come in and tell us none of this is applicable today. Well, are there men and women in your daily walk that don't have the fear of Yahweh God before their eyes? Or is it mine? I can barely go to the gas station without seeing three or four freaks or abominations in the eyes of Yahweh God. And seemingly every one of them can hold their head up high as they look you in the eye. The saints. The Israelite and the chosen of God. And why? Because the devil has empowered them to do evil. Because the false prophet calls evil good and good evil. Remember in the book of Malachi, that's exactly what he said was going on. Well, Malachi was quite different than this, which is a hundred years before Malachi. Here they didn't even care that they were slaves. Here they didn't even care that the house of God in which Yahweh God said He would dwell within if they would simply rebuild it. For 18 years, sat there and just collected dust. And so all of this happened. The work was encouraged and the work was ultimately completed. And a hundred years later, in the times of Malachi, there were false prophets, there were Edomite tares within that temple claiming to be Judean, just as Revelation 2.9 and 3.9 confirm. And He had to remind us, Jacob... Have I loved Esau? Have I hated? Why? Because we live in an era just like that today. Where they tell you Esau, Yahweh God loves, and Jacob is hated. So what was the message of Haggai the prophet? It begins once again in chapter 2, which is the only other chapter in this book. Verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of Yahweh by the prophet Haggai saying, stopping right there. Now we're going to look at what Haggai has to say, 
But notice that the word of Yahweh came by the prophet, not from the prophet. This isn't Haggai coming in and saying, well, I'm speaking for God. But rather the word of Yahweh God came by. Meaning that it aligned with the rest of what had been already commanded. And all of this transpired in the seventh month. Not the sixth month, but the very next month. It took 24 days from the time that Haggai was risen up to stir a remnant from amongst the Israelites to rebuild the temple. And finally, they commenced work when? In the seventh month, in the 21st day. And when that happened, the word of Yahweh came to the Israelites by Haggai. Not through and not from, but by Haggai the prophet. And they say, verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judea, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadash, the high priest, and to the residue of the people saying, notice the residue, a polite way of saying a remnant. And from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this theme bleed through time and time again. That Yahweh God will choose the younger as opposed to the elder, or simply a remnant will serve Him. But not every Israelite enters into the kingdom, do they? You can't be a pedophile and deny God and spit every time you hear His name and expect to be ushered into His eternal kingdom. That doesn't stop the false prophets from doing it. Is it any wonder why the Pharisees of Yahshua's time put so much faith within their pedigree? So much faith within their race, that even Christ had to come and curse a fig tree and go into the very temple of Jerusalem once again and overturn those tables of the money changers. Why? Because he had to denounce the religious order and he had to denounce the racial order, opening it up to the Gentiles or those of the Adamite stock. It's actually very simple to understand. But here once again, it is a residue of the people a residue, a small number of Israelites. Did Christ teach any differently? Indeed, He did not. He said, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. He also said, many are called, but few are chosen. Now, when Haggai was risen up, many were called, because I assure you, every Israelite within Jerusalem, the city, was called to rebuild the temple. But what was Haggai able to raise up? But a remnant. A residue. A residue of the people because the rest of them would be what? Burned off. Ultimately for denying God in life. Sometimes in Scripture it's what's not said. But continuing on. Speak now to Zerubbabel. And what was said to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the residue of the Israelites? Beginning in verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Nothing. God wants you to understand that the temple was nothing. It was nothing in their eyes, and it was unfinished. It looked like a work site, a construction site. And God says, who is left among you? Meaning the remnant or the residue of the Israelites that heard Haggai. They heard their master's voice through him. Who is left among you? That saw this house in her first glory. The way God is asking through the prophet, which one of you Israelites lived to see it before it was destroyed? And then he continues. And how do you see it now? 
It's a question. It's a fair question. And let me ask you, how do you see the house of God? Where does it fit in to today's society? Within the grand scheme of things, what priority do we as a nation, under the leadership of Obama or even Hillary and Trump, where do we place the house of God? Do you think it's going to be any different if Obama, which is unable to, but Hillary or Trump do not place the house of God as number one? Do you think it's going to be any different than what we read about in chapter 1 and verse 6? Ye have sown much, but ye bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, and ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. My point with this is the same point that Haggai had back then. If we don't put the house of God, meaning Yahweh in general, first then we're going to live just like they did. Just like this. Sowing much, but bringing home nothing. In reality, you're not getting what you should. And so it stands. Man, seemingly, and their own governments make hundreds of laws every month. In fact, you can see this if you ever walk into a courthouse. They have long hallways full of books, full of laws that they make and invent seemingly every day. Yahweh God has an upwards of 600 and some odd laws within His codified word. And man has the hubris to call Yahweh God the oppressive one. Man has the balls to come in and say that Yahweh God is oppressing them because He wants or demands a sacrifice. Sacrifice. Not a burnt offering, but a sacrifice. Something for the Israelites to do for Him. And He would have blessed them so amply that's what's being said. You've sown much, but ye bring in little. Why? I have called for a drought upon the mountains. Yahweh God caused for a drought. And all of this could have been circumvented. It could have been avoided. Had we been putting Yahweh God all along. And so Haggai was risen up to a people who were post-exile. They came back from Babylon, but didn't realize that they still had the chains of slavery around them. And there truly is none so enslaved as those who think they are free. And so we live in this great America, land of the free. Yeah, it's so free, someone like me can go to jail for preaching against sodomites. It's how free America is. But continuing on, what was said? What was said to the residue? Well, the question was asked, Who is left among you that saw the house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes, in comparison of it as nothing? Verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith Yahweh, and be strong, Joshua, or Yahshua, son of Jehoshadesh, the high priest, and be strong, all the people of the land, saith Yahweh, and work, for I am with you, saith Yahweh of hosts. I am with you if you do what? One word. And there's a lot of padding right there. It's basically reiterating the same thing. Zerubbabel, Joshua, Remnant. But what's the key word right there that we read about in verse 4? Work. Underline that in your Bible. If you work, Yahweh God will be for you. Especially if you're working towards advancing His house, His kingdom, His law, or His rule within your nation or personal life. But we don't do that. And when we don't do that, this is what happens. We earn wages, but it's just like putting it in a bag with holes. 
Meaning, others will suck up your substance. You will live under an oppressive government who will tax you beyond oblivion because you put more faith in the government than God. And is there anything new under the sun? No, indeed, there is not. Every time a horrible thing happens, like this last week in Florida, these floods happen, or a tsunami, or Katrina before it, we as the people, and many times not even, but the muds, put their hands out, and who do they turn to? The government. They don't turn and say, we repent. They don't turn and say, we've been doing it wrong. Yahweh God controls the weather. No, rather they look to Obama for a FEMA check. They put man before anything else. And nine times out of ten, it's not even the government. Most of our people are so selfish that they put themselves before others. Which is the exact opposite of what Yahweh God will do if we have faith within Him. And the exact opposite of what Yahshua did. He was a servant to all Israel. Because true love denotes servitude. If you love God, you serve Him. If you love Christ, you keep His commandments. So, the bottom line was, they had the biggest yoke around their neck. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205. Or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. They were indebted to the government of Jerusalem, the city, and all the taxation that went along with it, and all the vices, and all the sin and evil that was found within Jerusalem, and it was because, well, go figure, at the end of the day, the house wasn't even open. The house of Yahweh. No place where the poor could get food. No place where even the spiritually maimed could be edified. And so what do you think the outcome is? Just like this, selfishness increases. We only make a portion of what we have, meaning the overabundance is taken from us and given to a stranger, Naturally, most of us say, well, I'm not giving up what little bit I make. In the end times, the love of many will wax cold. Why? Because iniquity abounds. And so, at the end of the day, do not forget this very important aspect. Work, and I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Work. This is something that came unto Adam even. He was told that he would work. Meaning that Adam man, in the very beginning, had to work the soil in order for Yahweh God to bless him through the increase. Why? 
because it required faith. Adam had the Spirit. Faith in God. But most of us have no faith in God. Most of us don't even grow our own vegetables. We have faith that Costco is going to be there in the morning or Walmart. But we don't put God first, do we? And in times of adversity and peril, even when we're being inundated with locust armies, even when just last month they published the statistics that there are more illegal aliens working in America than white Christian men or white men in general, we think we're free. Yay, Memorial Day. Go have a barbecue and eat some pork, right? That's the mentality of the lemming. And the bottom line is, it does not require a shackle on your foot or around your neck. You don't have to be bound with chains and fetters to be a slave. You only have to believe you're free when you are a slave. And what did Haggai pull out of Jerusalem? A residue. A small amount of people. That's reiterated again. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith Yahweh, and work, for I am with you. Once again, God is reiterating what He already said in the 8th verse. I'll take pleasure in the temple if you put the work in. I'll allow you to glorify Me within it if you put the work in. But you have to take the first step. Here's the commandment. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build the house. Three commandments. Go to the mountain. Take wood. Rebuild my temple. If you're willing to do that, I am willing to do this. Compromise on Yahweh's part for us. This is an act of love, my friend. This is not God lying, saying, hey, I'll dwell in the temple and then not going there ultimately. If God's not being glorified, but man is, and more importantly, those that do not have the fear of Yahweh God are held up in high regard and high esteem, then do you really believe God is going to pour out His blessings anymore? So we sit in America today and we say, well, God bless America. God's not going to bless America until we drop to our knees in the dust of the ground that we were created from and repent nationally. Period. It's not going to happen. Now it's personal salvation. And each and every one of us in the years to come better worry less about national repentance and more about personal repentance. Because we're never again in America and parts of Europe going to hear the name of Christ glorified again. And if we do, it's not the Christ of the Bible. And so, Yahweh God says, I will be with you if you work. Now, right about this time, you might be asking yourself, well, why? That doesn't seem fair. After all, this is the residue of the Israelites. Technically, God would have been within His right in going in and destroying Jerusalem. Since His house was left in ill repair, right? There's a reason for that. And there's a reason each and every one of us are not consumed. In fact, we covered it in the book of Malachi. I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, because I don't change, ye sons of Jacob, or the Israelites, are not consumed. Right? Well, here we learn. Work, and I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, but, verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. Yahweh God says, so my spirit. Meaning that there is a remnant. And only the remnant have the spirit. And therefore the remnant are Israel. Those that commit sins unto death, for example, they're not born of God, right? And their seed does not remain within them. This is taught in Scripture. Whoso is born of God does not sin. Every successive generation that comes from a righteous man 
will wax greater and greater and more and more righteous and closer and closer to God. But it only takes one bastard atheist fool to come in and pervert his bloodline and then every single successive generation that comes from his loins waxes worse and worse and worse. Everything we're reading about here is a national teaching. According to the word that I covenanted with you, None of these men and women that were alive at the time of Haggai during the rebuilding of the temple were part of the Exodus. In fact, everybody that had anything to do with the Exodus wandered in the land of Canaan 40 years until the last one died. But he says, I coveted with you as a what? Not as an individual, but as a race, as a people. According to the word that I coveted with you as you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Meaning, my spirit remains among you, and it could only refer to the Holy Spirit speaking by the prophets, just like Haggai, and to His anointing and blessing upon all who were under the Old Covenant that believed and obeyed only. There were many people that did not believe then like now. But there's always a residue, is there not? There's always a remnant. And so it stands today. It never ceases to amaze me how small we are in the grand scheme of things, even in the Internet. How small we are, but how close-knit we are at the same time. Consider that. Yahweh God takes care of His own, and He uses the remnant of His people to make sure that the genuine prophet is risen up, who will tell people not what they want to hear, but the cold, hard truth of Scripture. According to the word that I coveted with you, Meaning, all the way back then, a promise was made. And I'm sure you remember the promise. Because it was made through Joshua. And Joshua stood before entrance into the land of Canaan. What did he say? He said, choose this day whom you will serve. If it be Baal, then let it be Baal. If it be Yahweh, let it be Yahweh. But don't be in the gray area. Don't straddle the fence. Choose God, choose Baal, but choose. And in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, there were two choices given, were there not? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Which basically boiled down to the same exact two decisions. Life or death. Haggai was risen up to the city of Jerusalem. He goes in there and he tells them, choose life, choose death. And a remnant, a residue, choose life. A remnant, a residue chose to go out of Egypt. Very important history to remember. Because if you remember the story of the Exodus, Moses was risen up just after the same manner of Haggai to go unto a people who were slaves unto Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And they didn't know they were slaves. They weren't bound with a ball and chain on their foot. They weren't necessarily scourged with whips. But they were in an economic slavery. They, just like today, and in the times of Haggai, and in the times of Christ, for that matter, believed they were free, but altogether slaves of men. Because of one very simple reason that we find running over and over and over throughout the Scripture. We don't put God first. If we seek the kingdom, everything else will be added. But we don't do that. We seek to save our life. And Christ said if we do that, we're going to lose your life. We seek to be number one. And Christ says if you do that, you'll be last. You have to be a servant to God first before you're a servant to anyone. 
And most people say, hey, I don't want to be a servant. Slavery is horrible. Well, the irony is you're either a servant to Christ or you're a slave to the world. But there's no free man out there. Not in that regard. You're either a slave to God, as Paul considered himself, or you're a servant of sin. At the end of the day, even the thinking man who will not serve God and will not put Him first is the biggest slave of all. Nine times out of ten. So continuing on, God says, fear not. Interesting, is it not? Because we just learned that many people did not fear the name of Yahweh God. And here He says, fear not. Is He saying, don't fear His name? Or is He saying, don't fear to rebuild the temple? Because I assure you, it's the latter. He says, fear not. Don't fear. And then there's a colon here. Meaning, what we're about to read is the renovation of the heaven and the earth. And this is referenced several points in the New Testament. God says, Fear ye not, according to the word that I covenanted or promised with the Israelites when you came out of Egypt, a residue of my spirit remains among you. And then he says, For thus saith Yahweh of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Who will shake it? Well, Yahweh God. What does that prove? That proves He controls the weather, even earthquakes. Meaning, He will give you the signs that you require so you don't have to be a wicked and perverse generation seeking a sign if you have faith. That's why a wicked and perverse generation who lean unto their own understanding always seek a sign. The saints see the sign. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Right? Yet once... It is a little while. Yet once. This is the future renovation of the earth. And we're told that we are looking forward to what? A new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Yahweh God says here, yet once it's a little while. It's not far away. And I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Once again, this is the renovation of the heaven and the earth. So I'm going to skip over very quickly to pound home this point to Hebrews. Chapter 1. Verse 10, where we read, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old, as doth the garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Thy years, Yahweh God does not change. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. These are the words of Malachi the prophet. But what you need to understand is what we just read. And that is, Yahweh God, in the very beginning, laid the foundation and it will perish. Yahweh God will cause a full end. And while it is an end to the tares and the plants that Yahweh God did not plant, while they are rooted up and burned with fire, it's a renovation process. In fact, Peter even confirms that in his second epistle, the third chapter, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, I preached on this before. This is technically the first earth age, but everything comes full circle. And the fact that Peter ends up on the note 
that the world that is now, by the same exact word that created the heavens and the earth in the very beginning, are reserved for what? Unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And therefore, notice that chapter 2, verse 6 here in Haggai says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That is the renovation of the earth. We just covered that. And the New Testament is replete with examples of this teaching. But there's also a semicolon here, meaning that the teaching continues in verse 7. And in verse 7 we read, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. What is that? That's the Messiah's second advent. Notice that there is a renovation of the earth, a shaking of the earth, just as Christ thought. And then there is the second advent and technically the teaching of the millennial temple, which is, I might add, a spiritual teaching. But this is found in Ezekiel chapter 40. If you read that in your free time, you'll read about the second advent of Christ. I will shake all nations. What nations are those but the Israelite nations that all of these books are written to? And not only will I shake the nations, but the desire of all nations shall come. The desire of all nations. Very appropriate statement in my estimation. Because the word desire is put here for the object of desire, which it does not consist of things. It must and can only refer to Yahshua Messiah. And He and He alone will satisfy the desire of all nations. In the day of fulfillment, there will be a long day, and you know every knee bows and every tongue confesses. That's what we're dealing with here, the return of Christ. And Yahweh God is basically saying, at Christ's second advent, the temple will finally be restored. His intent was to dwell there, but He does not dwell there then. He didn't dwell there in the times of Malachi. He was supposed to dwell there in the times of Christ, but his enemy had made his father's house a den of thieves. And so at the end of the day, thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all Israelite nations shall come. The messenger of the covenant will return. And so Christ will return. And it's not necessarily to impart His Spirit on this temple. Because this temple now is spiritual. And it is found where? Amongst the Israelite people. A residue. A remnant. We already confirmed that today. They were they who heard the voice of Haggai the prophet. And it was no different for Yahshua. Who said, My sheep hear My voice. They will follow. Moreover, the voice of a stranger they will not. We don't follow the voice of a strange king. We don't follow the voice of a strange god. The remnant, the residue, but the rest of the world does even while they're in slavery saying, hey, you know what, I'm free. At least I got a job in the land of Jerusalem. Who cares about the house of God? Why would I make a sacrifice? Why would I volunteer? Why would I do anything for anybody? Right? Does it make sense as to why Yeshua had to come? Time and time again, when left to our own devices, the Israelites screwed it up. And then the false prophet comes in and says, hey, you know what? Let's glory in our flesh. We're Israelites. We're all saved. doesn't matter how we live. And that's how easily they can hoodwink some of our people, my friend. Don't fall for their traps. Don't fall for their traps. 
I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations. What is the desire of all nations today? For the most part, it's money. And I briefly touched upon this in the very first segment. The way of a tyrannical king is to come in, take God's gold, stamp his face upon it, and then say, you need to pay me a tithe. But then Yahweh God says right here in chapter 2 of Haggai verse 8, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. The silver is his, the gold is his. And that, my friend, is what man holds in highest regard in almost every century. Gold, silver, money. Because in their feeble minds, they truly believe that money equates to power. And oftentimes, in the realm of wickedness, that is true. If you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of havoc. You can do a lot of damage to people. You can destroy a lot of homes. Does this make sense as to why maybe Christ would come and say, Woe unto you, rich, you've received your reward? Why He never once had anything positive to say for the rich? That is, unless they would part with everything they had and give it to the poor. Why would He ask that? Well, it should be right around this teaching here. If the silver is Yahweh God, and the gold is Yahweh God, and if Yahweh God is the one who says He called for a drought upon the land, but also, like in verse 6 of chapter 1, that we sow much and bring in little, then it makes perfect sense as to why anything we have, it's not ours anyway. Yahweh God's. If you grow a crop, well, you may have put the work in, but Yahweh God provided the increase. But men oftentimes, and even in this era, most assuredly, don't ever thank God for their blessings. And the minor prophet Malachi says, every time we do that, he will turn our blessings into curses. But verse 8, straightforwardly says, The silver's mine, the gold is mine. Saith Yahweh of hosts, not Haggai the prophet. Yahweh is telling you he owns all the gold there is. Even what little gold you own. Maybe you have gold around your finger. That's Yahweh God's. Understand that? That's the point. Put God before your marriage. Put God before your job. And everything else will most assuredly be added to you. But we don't do this. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh God's intention for that temple in the city of Jerusalem was that its glory would be greater than the former. Greater than Solomon's temple. Even exceeding the glory that was Solomon's porch. At the time it was built, there was none greater a temple. And in many regards, considering Eastern world religions and world cults that center around the structure and the blueprints of Solomon's temple, it still is one of the grandest designs ever given. In fact, there's many people who believe that they can even crack the blueprint of Solomon's temple pertaining to the Brazen Sea and Hiram Abif. Well, they'll be able to actually obtain immortality. Where that comes from, who knows? Probably the mind of the devil. But God's intention is, if you build it, if you go to the mountain, remember verse 8, chapter 1, and you bring wood, and you build the house, I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified within it. But then right here, we learn that the earth must be renovated. 
in chapter 2, verse 6. For thus saith Yahweh of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Then we learn that that temple will ultimately and finally be restored to the former glory we're reading about right here at the return of Yahshua, where we're taught, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all Israelite nations, being the Messiah, shall come, and I will fill this house. What house? Solomon's temple. The temple in Jerusalem. I will fill this house with glory. Why? Because the silver's mine. The gold is mine. Meaning that the silver and the gold wasn't going to the church. It was going to the government. It was going into people's bank accounts. It was going under their mattress or under their pillow or it was going into dope and revelry. But it wasn't going to Yahweh God first. And the silver's mine, the gold is mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. Therefore, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith Yahweh of hosts. And I in this place will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. I in this place will grant you peace. What is another name of the coming Redeemer according to the major prophet Isaiah? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be wonderful, right? Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. God is saying here, if my spirit dwells within that temple, you'll have true peace. So while we're dealing with brick and mortar being restored, and while we're dealing with literal blueprints handed down from angels unto Solomon, at the end of the day, what we need to remember is this fact. If we are His temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, wherein dwelleth righteousness, and we want the gift of the Holy Spirit or a charisma in the Greek, then understand this point. I will give peace in this place. In this place. What place? The temple. Your temple. Our temple. If you want to obtain true peace, you can do so by being imparted with the gift of the Holy Spirit and allowing it to dwell within your own proverbial temple. But if you do not, if you say, well, God dwells in that house, but not in my house. If you say, well, you know what? Job first, nation first. I'm a great big uh, patriot, right? I'm going to put the American flag over the Christian flag. Just one such example. If you do that, well, don't be surprised when Yahweh God spews you out of His mouth. And that you do not have peace. Is it any surprise that Scripture says there is no rest for the wicked, saith Yahweh God? Why is there no rest for the wicked? It should be common sense. They have no peace. And I'll tell you this as well. This is for free. A majority of the people who live out there in habitual sin, who screw over their friends at work, who sit there and say, I be so free! And they believe that God somehow or another hears them even though they never once inclined themselves to read His Word or to listen to a preacher. Don't have peace. They don't have peace because they're wicked. Perfect peace cometh from Yahweh God who is love. God is love. That's the point. You really believe Jesus Christ could make a move outside of God's will? Then it stands to reason that every move Yahshua made was a move made in love because God is love. And you'd be surprised how many emails I get from ignoramuses who want to come against me saying, how can you say God is love? I'm not saying it. The Bible teaches it. It's Christianity 101. 
God in Haggai, just like Malachi and every other book of the Old Testament, is bestowing grace, mercy, unmerited favor. Time and time again, here's two decisions, Adam chooses death. Here's two decisions, says Joshua, before the land of Canaan, and our people choose death. Christ comes, here's two decisions, and what do we make? Men prefer darkness over light. And that is why only a residue, only a remnant are spared, my friend. And it was no different then than it will be at the second advent. Notice all this is said in regard to the renovation of the heaven of the earth and the Messiah's second advent. But he also says this, speak now to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, and speak to the residue of the people. The residue of the people, you and I, this is spoken for us to look forward to. Don't put faith within a building of man. Even the church you go to on the corner. Don't put faith in the temple of Jerusalem. Put faith within God. Put God first. Fear His name. And in reverencing and or fearing His name, you will be instructed by God to fear not. But the wicked men fear everything. Therefore, They never have peace. They're always looking over their shoulder. They have sins to atone for, and they know it. Purge your life, my friend. Get right with Yahweh God. And please, join me for the third and final look and completion of our examination of this beautiful minor prophet Haggai and his words that are very poetical. But today, hopefully you learn the silver is Yahweh's, the gold is Yahweh's. So, therefore, if you understand that, why are you working for man for silver and gold when you could work for Yahweh God for so much greater? So much greater. And I'm saying this in a national level, not personally. Not everyone's meant to be a bishop. Not everyone's meant to be a preacher. But if we would put God first, even the tire repairer would be blessed. Even the seamstress. Even the garbage man. Every person within the many-membered body of Christ would be amply blessed from Yahweh God. It is a promise. You build, you work, I'll dwell there. I'll take pleasure. If you don't, if you put me last, well, you're going to sow and not reap. You're going to make money, but it's going to fall through your bag. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church. Wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. And we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever.
Amen.